on maynard.com.au. Hey, you! Should I sit out there with you? Or just wander around, I reckon. We're here in the heart of Darlinghurst, off Crown Street. If you want vinyl, if you're looking for vinyl, if you want that polyvinyl chloride stuff inside a dead tree, that's pretty much what you're looking for records with Stefan Jury. How are you? Owner, master, the guy who is the man behind the record store. I'm well, Maynard. We're here first thing in the morning. Now, I know first thing in the morning is not a big thing for DJs, but for people who do shops, you've got to get up early. Not really. We only open at 11. Civilised. <laughs> that's what we call it. Your history in the record business around Sydney goes back for a long way. First, I, sh- I should mention that I'm a co-owner, so I do have a partner. He's my not silent enough partner. Our business is called The Record Store. We have been this business since 2003. Prior to that, I managed a business called BPM Records. They were in this location from 99, but prior to 99, we were down at 43 Oxford. It was above the old Army Disposal Store, opened in 94, just after Reach-In opened. So there was like, obviously, Central had moved up here from Pitt Street, and we had Disco City, which is up on Crown Street here. Oh, Disco City there. There'll be a few people listening to this that might have a, a little Disco City label on their record. I've actually got a... This is, we're going out into the foyer. Oh. Prepare to be stunned. You put the original Disco City sign there. I think I got my copy of Oh What A Night by the Four Seasons remix from Disco City. Who worked there was Lance and Gemma from Kooky used yes, to work right. up there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And when they closed, people were taking the sign down and I just ran up there and I was like, Oi, what are you doing with that sign? So anyway, now we have the Disco City sign. Here. It does look cool from outside. And there's a whole bunch of vinyl here out in the foyer. So you know what you're getting into when you get inside. But what drove you in 2018 to continue to be in retail? Why do you still want to be retailing and retailing something that's uh, a touch archaic? Oh, fucked if I know, seriously. <laughs> <clears throat> the last time I went for a job interview, I was 14 years and nine months old, and that was McDonald's. And I've just fallen into one thing from the other. And if I had advice to give you, it would be don't go back in time and open a record store in 2003 because the following 10 years will be terrible. Vinyl turned a corner probably five years ago. And I think that was a function of when music became a utility. When it went to streaming, it just became like water and electricity. And I think then people seek to have relationships beyond pure consumption. And the utility model is just a consumption model. Why I'm in retail, I don't know. Look, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I'm my own boss. Don't have a mortgage, no kids. It's a fun lifestyle. It gives me time to get involved in my local community. So I run the local Chamber of Commerce. I'm currently on the City of Sydney late night advisory panel, which is looking at how to diversify nightlife. And so we're, we're doing really interesting things like looking at development control plans and zoning. You've obviously seen how Oxford Street has changed. Is there a way it can be rejuvenated easily or is it just too far gone? And we lost the Flint as it came back. We lost Cuba, but the place was going to fall through its own floor anyway. We lost the shift that's just been bought by a group that are going to reopen it as a club. This area and the community here and the business mix is very resilient. The thing about Oxford Street is if you walk up it, yeah, it's a bit tatty, but if you walk across it, you don't notice. There's lots of really cool things around it. I think Darlinghurst has amazing staying power, has a really lovely community here. There is a lot of development coming here and it will displace people once rents go up. I mean, the main problem on Oxford Street, it's really simple. There's a lot of old money and old money owns properties outright. If you own property outright, you more than likely have a portfolio. And then what you're doing is you're leveraging the value of that portfolio to do business elsewhere. Now, your property's worth what you're charging in rent. If you get a tenant in on less rent, you have less leveraging ability. So there are people just, they don't need the money and they don't care if their properties stay vacant. The rumour is that there'll be hotels and they'll go up 
to six to eight stories, which for me, I actually think it needs to happen. But the, the problem is managing that process. Like what, what happens to Saks Fetish, Aussie Boys, Daily Mail, like all the businesses that have been there for a long time that really give this area flavour. If they go, will they come back? Where can they go? Like will the, will the new tenants demand three times as much in rent? There's also a disconnect between what real estate's are charging and what you can actually make here. You're only going to end up with kind of what we've got there, pop-up $2 shops and other stuff that you'd never go into. You know, awful thing is that the, the business model of a real estate agent is they get a fee when someone goes in. So if they put four different tenants in in a year, they get four times the amount of money. So they really don't care. For a lot of them, the more businesses that churn through an area, the more money they make. A group of failed businesses over a year, that's going to make more money for them than as if one person's there for the entire year. Yeah, because they just get a fee based on putting someone in. The way we are on the corner of Goulburn and Crown Street, the same block where Route 66 is. It's a great block. (laughs) Beautiful old 100-year-old building. The development that's going to come here next year, it will displace us. I don't think you can be anti-development. You've got to be pro-good development. If the businesses go away while the development's happening, they might move out of the area and then the character of the area changes. But you lose all the really cute little rabbit warrens that you get in these old buildings. And the design of the resident section of the of the building that's coming here. It's actually a really beautiful design, architecturally speaking, but the retail is just a big concrete box. If you walk into like a hundred-year-old building that's got a maze of rooms, it kind of fills itself because you're just like, oh, that'll go there, that'll go there, we'll do this. Mm. We can't plan now because it's a year away, so we'll, we'll look for a place when we have to look for a place. So, when we were at 43 Oxford Street, my boss at the time decided that Oxford Street was already turning. It was dirty and loud, really. He found this premises here, which was underneath Route 66, and it was originally the extra large store. Pav used to run that. He did what Pav always does, and it just magically closed one day because he left the country and just, I don't know what happened. Boom, straight in there. And we had a killer party where the cops actually, I've got photos of this, the cops came up the stairs because they saw the roof, the ceiling of the disposal store was our floor. And we're like, how did you know we're having a party? Like the door was all locked. And they're like, look, that floor is moving about 10 inches. And back in the day, the cops were a lot more lenient and, and they were just like, look, lock the door and lock your roller door. And we were never here. And no one fell through the floor. So, Friday night, I think we had the party. I mean, I remember this counter here, three metre long. I remember four of us just put it on our heads and carried it up the road and through (laughs) the door. And we were open four days later. And let's talk about your stock in here too, because you've got a a tonne of records here. Who is buying new vinyl? Because back in the day, you'd go to the import store as a DJ and you'd get the vinyl first and you'd get it before anybody else. Now it's the other way around. You can download stuff and you would have a song to play in a club before you could get the vinyl to play. We're the last of the... At one stage, there was 14 dance music record stores in Darlinghurst. 14? 14. You had Martins, Savage, Reachin, Acetate, Spank, Central. And if you go to the recordstore.com.au website, you'll see a great story about all the old record shops of Sydney as well. And if I've missed you out, please send us an email. One by one, the shops closed, and that was as the market was shrinking. In the one sense, DJs saved vinyl, but then that started falling off when digital got better, and the transition to digital DJing took a while. It was a real death by a thousand cuts, and I was watching all these other shops go, and we went from BPM was originally the hardcore store... But then my big thing was breakbeat. My big break was actually playing at the Apollo Festival. So then I turned the business into the breakbeat shop and we were the first ones to bring jungle into the country. (laughs) 
when there were tons of shops, we all had our own subgenres. Obviously, Central was doing everything and, you know, trying to undercut everyone all the time. There was enough going on that every shop had its own niche, but that sort of all collapsed into itself when there was only a couple of us left and Spank were doing the tech house and techno. I realised which way it was going, and so that's when I quickly changed our motto over to not just a DJ shop. If you look around the shop now, dance music 12 inches are probably only maybe 25% of what we do, but that history informs everything else that we do. In our album section, we have a, a huge electronica section. I'm really passionate about local music, and I never thought I'd see this happen, but we have a wall of Australian vinyl over there, and it's 12 inches. Like Everyone over here is doing 12s again. Is it getting pressed locally? No, look, the problem, I've seen good vinyl come out of Zenith. There's only one plant that in Melbourne. The problem is the market. The market's overseas. So if you press 300 is the minimum where you actually viable pressing run, you're only going to sell 100 in Australia, the max. You're going to sell 200 overseas. So it's, it makes much more sense pressing overseas, selling the majority there and shipping back what you need. In terms of who's buying it, this is, sort of kills me because you're stuck on Facebook as an advertising medium and Facebook are now throttling businesses. It's everyone and anyone. I mean, I've got, I've got a dad and daughter couple coming in and she's, she's just mad on drum and bass. <laughs> There's old geezers who come in and buy our secondhand rock and then a lot of DJs are buying vinyl because they love to play records. My sense is that playing digital music is a bit too much like work. I know a few people that do buy vinyl. They love the artwork and everything, but I can't remember when I've been to someone's house and they've put on a record. They've showed me the artwork, they've showed me their record collection, but they haven't actually put the record on. Oh, you haven't been to my house. That's, oh, that's, the, problem. <laughs> that's the problem. The thing about coming to my house is that you, you have to get through my girlfriend, and to get through my girlfriend, you have to play all of Moon Safari. And all of Dark Side of the Moon. then you can play whatever else you want. Every time, that's a go-to. They're great albums. They're brilliant albums. Northern Soul Night at the weekend, the vinyl's, what, 50, 60 years old? And I didn't mind a bit of surface noise on the dance floor. I actually think it's the surface noise that when people talk about vinyl being warm, I think just the sound of a piece of diamond grating over PVC is actually what people perceive as the warmth of the record. Technical question. Do you need to get your own cartridge or is the needle important? Is that the combo of the both? That's a question I could not have answered six months ago. I've recently had an awakening. Hallelujah! There's a really big difference between DJ needles and hi-fi needles. A DJ needle is designed, it's like a four-wheel drive. A lot of audiophiles go, oh, DJ needles track too hard. And what that means is you've got to put more weight on them. And the reason you have to put more weight on the tone arm is because a DJ needle, the diamond is on a little metal tube and a DJ needle has really tough suspension and is a solid needle. So to get it to actually sit down into the groove and pick stuff up, it's got to be heavier. You want it to stay in the groove when you're back cueing and a DJ needle will play any record. A hi-fi needle, on the other hand, has very delicate suspension and has a hollow tube. And so you have to put much less weight on it. Like if you put too much weight on a home hi-fi needle, it just sounds like someone's put your record through a blender. My home hi-fi needle picks up way more dust. DJ needles will only usually pick up dust when they're blunt. In terms of where the magic happens, it's a bit of both. I'm inclined to say the cartridge. Audio-Technica actually have an amazing, if you go to their website, they have pictures of all the different shape tips 
really close up because you can see the more a needle gets into the groove, the more it's picking up. For your average home listener with your average speakers and your average ears, the average needle that your average deck comes with is fine. Excessive stylus force can damage the sensitive grooves of this precision record. I use the whiskey analogy. A $40 bottle of whiskey is awful. An $80 bottle of whiskey is lovely. A $200 bottle of whiskey is fab if someone else pays for it. It's the same with needles. Don't get the $30 needle. Get the $80 needle. Check the electrical performance of your equipment. I have turned. At home, I used to have a direct drive with a DJ needle. The thing about a direct drive, what people say is you can hear the motor. And you actually can. On a direct drive, there's an electromagnet in the middle of the turntable and the needle actually approaches that power source. So when they talk about damping, it's not just external damping in a turntable. It's making the needle not pick up the sound of that direct drive. A belt drive has the motor in the far corner. So the needle actually never gets close to that electrical source. So went home, could hear the motor and was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to get a belt drive. Got a belt drive, which is anathema to me. I'm all about the hands-on. Yeah, yeah, direct drive's always been the thing because I've worked at radio stations because you want that fast pickup, which yeah. you can't get with a belt drive. Which you don't need when you're not mixing. Yeah. More to the point, when Shasta gets drunk and scratches the crap out of my records. Waka waka. Shasta's my girlfriend and I love her to death, but when she's... But you don't want to scratch Dark Side of the Moon. Yes. And she has already the, my mobile fidelity one. I shouldn't take the piss. It's difficult for people who haven't been doing it for 20 years to pick up a needle and put it where it should go. DJs have the amazing ability, even when they're off their scone, yeah. to be usually able to pick that up gently. Yeah, and yeah. put it down vertically in the right place. I didn't tell her I bought this automatic turntable belt drive and you just hit start and the needle does its own thing. And I just got this text message going, how civilised? How long's this been going on? Yeah. And it all comes down to just DJ needles are designed to track through any Anything and they don't have the fidelity of a hi-fi needle. I then went and spent $329 on a hi-fi cartridge and that's as far down the rabbit hole as I'm going. I would recommend to anyone just stop there because, you know, then you get into the realm of $10,000 cartridges and $100,000 turntables and it's not necessary. Let's get into the product in the store. What's your favourite new one that's on your shelf over there? I guess looking at the wall, I mean, Lifeforms is cool, Future Sound of London... It's going to have to be the Blade Runner soundtrack. I recently rediscovered the original soundtrack. Back when I was DJing, you know, we'd go and do late, early morning sets on Triple R out in their studio in Redfern and get high and just play your dad's weird Ken Nordine records. You hear the tick-tock in your mind like hammer blows across whatever's left behind with Blade Runner samples. And the studio was great for that because it's down in the basement with very little natural light. Yeah, you should be stoned in there even at two in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Yeah, Yeah. and I hadn't been listening to records at home. It was only when I started going out with Shasta and she was really, really into music. So all of a sudden, instead of me having a small pile of records at home that I never listened to, I had 800 records at home and that's all we did every night. And we rediscovered the Blade Runner soundtrack. It's an incredible piece of music. Not like the new one. Hans Zimmer's new one is, it's just sound. There's not even any vocal snips out of the movie, but you listen to Vangelis's original piece, and this album just is beautiful. And there's one track with Middle Eastern vocals floating through it. That's my favourite old one. (laughs) 
I've got a Technics 1200 at home and you recondition them here. Do they actually need reconditioning all that often? They're pretty solid. So they need calibrating and a lot of them have had many beers spilt through them because they've been witness to many parties. More often than not, people come in, they need new RCA leads. It's only 180 for a full service or 300 for a pair. And then if someone's not happy with their pitch, and often the pitch just needs calibrating and cleaning. So we include that in our service. Really, the only thing that can go wrong with a 1200 where you've got to throw it away if the main board goes. Behind you here, are these the re-released ones or are these second-hand? This section here is all, we call it pre-loved. We've got Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. We've got the Jesus Jones Doubt album. The Magical Mystery Tour there, which looks like a re-release. They're re-releases, but they're the 1982 oh. pressings, so they're still analog off the analog masters. Oh, you got the Miami Vice soundtrack. <laughs> Above that, Grace Jones. Thick as a brick down the bottom. To be thick as a brick. You got it all covered here. Yeah, there's no conceivable order to this <laughs> section. I've just realised. What's the one thing you can't keep in the shop? You wish, God, I wish I could get more of these because people always want it, and it's just walking out the door all the time. It just goes out the door. There's a couple of records here that are just no-brainers. It's like you should always have Amy Winehouse. should always have Dark Side of the Moon. You should always have Nas Illmatic. You should always have Fleetwood Mac Rumors. They're just like cannon fodder. And they're really, really good albums. With JB Hi-Fi around the corner and the majors peddling these records, everyone's got them, but it's kind of weird because everyone still wants them. What we don't see coming through secondhand, no one sells their funk or soul. No one sells their reggae. No one really sells their punk. People rarely sell their garage. And everyone's now switched on to what records are worth. So five years ago, we were buying collections for not a great deal of money. And now a lot of the DJs are going to record fairs and selling their own stuff, especially the older tech house, believe it or not, and techno from the noughties. Be an example of a track from that. I have no idea because I hate the shit, but a lot of other people love it, and my staff are all over that naughty's techno stuff. House and techno is kind of timeless, I think, because of the nature of the music. Scooter, a timeless artist. I wouldn't call him house or techno. <laughs> Trance, by the way, is worth nothing on vinyl, so if you've got it, don't try and sell it to us. Prog, neither. Don't try and sell it to it. (laughs) 
now for people who are DJs who are downloading off digital music, they've all got access to all the same songs. And so now going back into the noughties and trying to find these records where there were only 200 in the world and that stuff is now highly sought after. And then when music went full streaming and you couldn't collect, because people collected MP3s, you know, it's like, hey, my iPod's got these songs in it. Once everything was on tap, vinyl became that sort of differentiator again and the place where again where you could like have a physical relationship with it own it maybe just buy it to show you the cover when you go to their house or something that's never happened to me by the way maynard that's i find that very strange well well, no people have either got it on the shelf to show off or they'll go oh look i got this but they won't put it on you've got to give them credit because records are functional but they're also art functional art i'm not going to diss someone if they just want to buy them to have them there and look at the covers there was a frame that i've been looking for that is designed that you can just quickly change the record in it so the bottom of it just pops out and you Mm. slide it and you don't have to undo the whole thing. And I think that'd be great. Every day you can just put a different cover in there. They're expensive, but they are great. They are beautiful pieces of art. I used to be quite intolerant of like, you know, this music's better than that music. And then recently some Liberace got through and into our our rock and pop section. Ordinarily, I would give that stuff to Vinny's. I think it must have been in really good condition or something. It just got through and it stayed there. And this young Chinese girl came in, full full vinyl junkie. She bought Barry Manilow, Liberace, Clyderman. And I'm like, you know what? These records bring you joy. You're into the same thing I'm into in terms of this format. Who am I to judge what makes you happy? This leads me to a question because we're all about lifestyle advice here on Planet Maynard. For those people working in retail, everybody, no matter what they're selling, they'll get the wanker coming into the store. And, of course, you'll get the audiophile. They'll come in and they'll have their opinion on the headphones or the cartridge or the vinyl or the weight of the vinyl or how it's pressed or whether it's from a master or not. Do you have the customer's always right or the customer can just fuck off if they're annoying me attitude? Which one do you go with? Um, we don't serve audio files. Oh, by that I mean they don't come here because we're a very pedestrian shop. To the point where if someone comes to us with a collection of rare collectible vinyl, we will send them to another store. The vinyl I want to buy secondhand, I want to be able to sell for not very much money. I want you to be able to come in and buy more than one album. I don't want people coming in with magnifying glasses looking at the grooves because they're a fucking pain in the ass and they might be very lovely people, but I don't have the time or patience. So they just don't come here. I think I've only ever had to kick three people out of this store in 20 years. You and your magnifying glass, take a hike. I don't have the patience and I get how people are into it and I get how things can be worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I have no interest. People can come here and they can get themselves a a smashing copy of Brothers in Arms for 30 bucks and no one cares if it's original press. We're surrounded by music and vinyl. Pick one to finish on track. That's really toughy. No, it's not because you you asked me before. There's this amazing, amazing record that's come out of Melbourne by a group called Mild Life and the album's called Phase. It's on research records. It's got that synth from War of the Worlds. And they really go to town on it. It's sort of electronic jazz, funk, space age, 70s. This is the repress. We got the original run about three or four months ago and we sold like 10 copies in a day. And we've just got 30 now and they're about to do it on coloured vinyl and a whole bunch of remixes are about to come out. Where can people catch you online? Our website, recordstore.com.au or therecordstore.com.au. We've got both. What track you want to play from them? I just put it on and listen to it. This is one of those albums where you can just listen to the whole thing. The Magnificent Moon. Mild Life. From Melbourne, yeah. Check them out.
on maynard.com.au. AU! Brighton and Hume. Everything digital.